Good morning, it's good to see each of you today. I'd ask you to please take your Bibles and turn to the book of Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3, we've begun our exposition in the book of Daniel, and for those of you visiting, we do preach through books of the Bible so that we might understand them more fully, and we recently took up an exposition in the book of Daniel, and um, it has been a good, rich study so far. We're we're moving at a fairly good clip. We're covering one chapter per week, which is uh, a toilsome task, but the way, uh, the, the way these were set up and the, the way it's written is that they, they're one complete story, and so to divide it up would not be helpful. Remember, we said the purpose of the book of Daniel is to encourage the exiles. Israel had been unfaithful to God and has taken into captivity to be, as it were, to use the rod of Babylon to get them in shape. The the, um, captivity was to be 70 years, and then God would faithfully bring them back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. But for now, they're in exile, and this is the purpose of the book of Daniel. In fact, Daniel and his friends were taken at the first invasion and were um, set apart as being uh, unique and special, and then they're promoted. We've seen that the last few weeks. And today, we come to a very, very familiar passage that nearly everyone has heard about. The story of the young Hebrew men being thrown into a furnace of fire, and then ultimately being delivered by God. Uh, most of you have heard of that. Some of you young children, the youngest of the young children, have heard of that. I heard one preacher say that um, a father asked his child what he learned in Sunday school, and the, the child was taught this story but didn't quite grasp it and came back and said something about your shack and my shack and a bungalow. And uh, so uh, we're, we're hopefully we're gonna, I'm going to be a little bit more clear than that particular Sunday school teacher was. And, and, and even some of you kids, and you know, I'm not endorsing veggie tales uh, necessarily, but this was one of the first ones that they did. Rack Shack and Benny, right? And, uh, you know, it was, what was it, the chocolate factory and bowing down to the, the chocolate bunny or something, I think. I don't know. I, um, but <laughs> hopefully we're going to learn more valuable lessons uh, from our text today. That God is with us in the midst of trial. We should expect trial. trial will, trials are always going to be with us. But that God goes through that and oftentimes is pleased to deliver his people from times of difficulty. Well, you'll remember in chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar is having nightmares. He's shaking, and he's waking up shaking, and he's having this reoccurring nightmare of this dream, and he, and he calls all the wise men, and he threatens death, uh, destruction, being dismembered, literally, if they cannot interpret the dream, but great reward if they can. And then the stakes keep getting raised up and raised up, and he's in a rage, and then he just says, look, you're all going to be destroyed, and finally he calls that out. Well, Daniel doesn't panic. Daniel gets his friends, and they intercede before God, and they plead for God's mercy and compassion upon his blood-bought people. And as they're interceding, there's this beautiful prayer, verses 20 to 23, which is really central to chapter 2. People get lost in the dream and the head of gold and the breast of silver and all of this stuff. No, the central part is praising God for his covenant faithfulness and his mercy. But in that dream, of course, there is this statue in the, representing various kingdoms. And the takeaway of that is that 
Kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall, but God's kingdom is established forever, and nothing can take that out of the way. And we saw that as the stone, a picture of Christ, a picture of the cornerstone, comes and destroys that, that figure, that statue. And what happens to that stone? It grows to become what? A great mountain. And we think of the kingdom of God like a mustard seed grows to become the largest plant in the garden, as Jesus would tell that story. We talked about uh, the, the already in the first coming, the not yet in the second coming. And so that brings us to Daniel chapter 3. And so let's go ahead and I'm going to read the text and then we'll pray and we'll jump in. Daniel 3. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold, the height of which was 60 cubits, and its width 6 cubits. And he set it up in the plain of Dura in the providence of Babylon. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent word to assemble the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the counselors, and the treasurers, and the judges, and the magistrates, and all the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the councils, the treasurers, the judges, and the magistrates, and all the rulers of the province were assembled for the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Now, I just I want to just pause real quick. We've read verses 1 to 3. Look for words of repetition. There's a lot of repetition in this chapter and the author does that on purpose to set emphasis here. And Nebuchadnezzar, we've already seen three times, three of nine times where it talks about this thing that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. This is, this is his creation, okay? So look for other repetitions as well. Verse 4. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, To you the command is given, O peoples and nations and men of every language, that at the moment you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the lyre, the trigon, the psalter, the bagpipe, and all kinds of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king has set up. But whoever does not fall down and shall immediately be cast in the midst of the fire or the furnace of blazing fire. Therefore, at that time when all the peoples heard the sound of the horn and the flute, the lyre, and the trigon, and the, the psaltery, the bagpipe and all kinds of music and all the peoples and nations and men of every language fell down and worshipped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. For this reason, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and brought charges against the Jews. They responded and said to Nebuchadnezzar the king, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, the flute, the lyre, trigon, the psaltery, and the bagpipe, and all kinds of music, is to fall down and worship the golden image. But whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire. And there are certain Jews whom you had appointed over the administration of the province of Babylon, namely Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have disregarded you, and they do not serve your gods or worship the golden image which you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in, in rage and anger, gave orders to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and these men were brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar re- responded and said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? <clears throat> Excuse me. Now, if you are ready... 
At the moment you hear the sound of the horn and the flute and the lyre and the trigon and the psaltery and the bagpipe and all kinds of music to fall down and worship the image which I have made very well. But if you do not worship, you will immediately be cast into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire. And what God is there who can deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to, able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with wrath, and his facial expression was altered towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he answered by giving orders to set the furnace seven times more than it is usually heated. He commanded certain valiant warriors who were in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the furnace of blazing fire. Then these men were tied up in their trousers and their coats and their caps and their other clothes and were cast into the midst of the blazing fire. For this reason, <clears throat> excuse me, for this reason, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace had been made extremely hot, the flame of the fire slew those men who carried up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire still tied up. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astounded and stood up in haste. And he said to his officials, Was it not three men we cast bound into the midst of the fire? And they replied to the king, Certainly, O king. And he said, Look, I see four men loosed and walking about in the midst of the fire without harm, and the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the furnace of blazing fire, and he responded, and he said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come out, you servants of the Most High God, and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the midst of the fire, and the satraps, and the prefects, and the governors, and the king's high officials gathered around and saw in regard to these men that the fire had no effect on their bodies of these men, nor was a hair on their heads singed, nor were their trousers damaged, nor had the smell of fire even come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar responded and said, Blessed is the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who put their trust in him, violating the king's command, and yielded up their bodies so as to not serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree that any people, nation, tongue that speaks anything offensive against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses reduced to a rubbish heap, inasmuch as there is no other God who is able to deliver in this way. And then the king caused Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to prosper in the province of Babylon. <clears throat> May the Lord add his own blessing to his word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that we have this privilege to come before you now to look into your word, and oh God, we ask that you would be pleased as you have inspired this word, as this is from you, we pray that you would speak to our hearts, 
pray that you would remove distractions and cares and concerns, Lord, that we may come, as it were, to sit at your feet. We pray for the one that does not know you, that today might be the day of salvation. Lord, we pray that each one of us who are going through various difficulties might be encouraged and strengthened in knowing that you are with us, even though sometimes it appears that you're not or seems that you're not. Lord, we pray your blessing on this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Today's text really finds its parallel in chapter 6, which we'll be at in a few weeks, where Daniel is rescued from the lions. God sovereignly intervenes there as well. Well, here in chapter 3, we see Nebuchadnezzar as the antagonist. He's the one that's dominating what's going on. He speaks, he acts, he demands, he, he, he demands worship and all of these types of things. He, we see that he shows emotion. Two different times he's thrown into a furious rage. His facial expression changes, and, and this is a man that's given to passion, and then it's bad use of the word. The context, it's important that we understand that what these three men, Hebrew men, experience and what they were facing is really not much different than what we face in the 21st century. There is enormous pressure being put upon us, even here in the United States of America, to conform to culture. What does the culture want us to do to believe about gay marriage and transgender and and postmodern thought and all of these things? This this pressure is upon us constantly in the workplace, in the universities, in the the very preschools and elementary schools and so forth and so on. Sometimes in our Christian walk, we have to take a stand for what is right. I cannot go any further with this. And you take a stand for what is right as revealed in the Word of God. God's people will go through fiery trials, and that's why the, the, the distorted message of the health and wealth gospel is wrong. It, it is doing a terrible thing in Africa. It's it just spreading. And also in this country, in droves, people come to hear Joel Osteen and, and Creflo Dollar and all of these things. Why? Because they want their ears tickled. They want to hear that, that God has something good for, for you and, and, and all of these types of things. Trials are commonplace for God's people. Read Hebrews 11, right? You see what God has done and how He has used the mighty saints. And, and then even at the end, how, how they encountered many terrible trials. Study the New Testament. Study church history. And trials can come from within. They can come from without upon us. Several in our congregation over the last couple of years have suffered miscarriages. That's, that's a hard thing. Especially when it's your first. It's a very difficult thing. And, and, and God gives the grace to move past that, but it doesn't make it easy. We've lost a few to cancer in the last year, a little over a year. Um, economic uh, trials, uh, internal, just uh, a weak mind and, and being prone to depression and spiritual melancholy, uh, health afflictions that just come, and whether it's persistent migraines or arthritis or whatever the situation is. But we take comfort as God's people who know what the Word of God teaches that God has not left us and He is in control. 
with every shooting pain that you may experience that He is in control. That He's sending that for a divine reason of, of what it, whether it's to, to shape your character and conform you into the image of Christ. We receive from God whatever He brings. Charles Spurgeon said, Our Lord's letters often come to us in black-edged envelopes. Sometimes God allows these, medical, these, these trials to come, uh, medical type of trials and cancer and other afflictions, so that we might be a bold witness to nurses and doctors. And, and there's, there's countless examples where medical personnel saw the difference between one person that was on the verge of death and had absolutely no hope of what lies beyond the grave and the despair and the utter terror compared to the next person that is at peace because they know where they are going. They know the Savior that they've trusted in. They know that their salvation cannot be taken from them. That they're justified by faith in the court of heaven. And that has a profound effect on unbelievers. So if the health and wealth gospel was true and none of us ever got sick or we just had to command it out of us or whatever, that would not take place. But let's look at our text. Three simple points today, brethren. False worship is embraced by those who do not know God, verses 1 to 7. We'll see next, false worship is refused by those who fear God. And then lastly, that false worship never satisfies. So first of all, it is embraced by those who do not know God. Where in the world did King Nebuchadnezzar get the idea to make something like this? Uh, something uh, 90 feet tall, this golden image, solid gold, only nine feet wide. It would look kind of bizarre, wouldn't it? The skinny, narrow thing, but, but extremely tall. Where did he get this idea? Well, remember the dream last week, and, and remember the interpretation that you, O king, are the head of gold. And so Nebuchadnezzar, obviously, he takes this dream and he says, I, I'm not content with that. I want to be the, the everlasting kingdom, as it were, and I'm going to make it all gold, and it all represents me and my gods. In fact, just turn back in chapter 2 and verse 47, right at the end of 2. And it's interesting, you see these at the end of each chapter. The king recognizes something is unique about these, something about the God of Daniel. And he said, the king answered Daniel and said, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, and the revealer of mysteries since you have been able to reveal this mystery. Well, we don't know how many years later this took place. Um, Some think nine years between chapter 2 and 3. Some think 17 years. We don't know for sure. Um, But we know that it was some years. And so, you know, does King Nebuchadnezzar have dementia? Did he forget what he had said there or, or whatever? But nevertheless, he builds this interesting idol. It's all gold. So this, the head of gold in chapter 2, uh, that, you know, that, that he's the head, literally went to his head so that he would make this. And, and you know, maybe it's some insecurity. He's conquered the known world. All of the other kingdoms and so forth all submit to Babylon at this time. And, 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 and every now and again, he wants to reassure that they haven't changed allegiances. And so he, he builds this. He, he calls this declaration for Everybody to come in, sort, sort, sort of like a, um, um, 
United Nations meeting or something. So they all come in for the leaders from all over the place, and they bow down to it. This represented not only King Nebuchadnezzar, but also his gods. We're told that, I think, four times in the text, verse 12, 14, 18, and one other place. The reality is, is that we have a propensity to idolatry, and I'm going to talk more about that in a moment. John Calvin said, every one of us is, from his mother's womb, an expert in inventing idols. What is an idol? An idol is something that takes the place of God, just put very simply, okay? So let's keep that in mind as we go through. Now look back at verse 1 here. Notice where this is taking place at. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Now, some of you already know that this is the location of the Tower of Babel. And so there's, this, this, is, this is not an accident, okay, that this is happening here so many years later, thousands of years later. He demands worship to this thing. And Babylon was to be a unifying center, a center for all the peoples of the earth, and, and so was this in Genesis 11.4. They, they said, come, let us build for ourselves a city, a tower whose top will reach into heaven, and let us make for ourselves a name. Let us make for ourselves a name. And don't you see King Nebuchadnezzar, as I was reading the text, that's essentially what he wants. He wants to maintain his name and his kingdom and his gods. I've already mentioned the idea that he set this up is mentioned nine times in this chapter. So all the leading officials from around the empire gathered for this dedication ceremony. And the tension mounts. You think of... uh, even just in recent history, the Soviet Union, Union and the image of Lenin, right? And still, in some places, you can see uh, Lenin. But, you know, it, the idea was to put that image everywhere in people's brains so that that communist nation would look to Lenin. Well, well, you have the similar thing here. Nebuchadnezzar wants them all to come, wants them all to recognize that his idol is the idol to be bowed down to. So, the tension mounts here, uh, not Far from this golden statue is a furnace of fire erupting smoke, perhaps into the blue sky, sparks coming up, and it's hot. It's real hot. This furnace was probably used for the the making of the firing of bricks, and uh, some of those bricks may have been used for the foundation of this 90-foot idol uh, statue, but we don't know for sure. Uh, but this furnace was, was one that was hot. And, this, and when he says this, just like when he threatened to dismember them, we talked about the brutality of Babylon. That, that was a real dismemberment. That wasn't figurative. That wasn't an empty threat. And, and this is not an empty threat either. You will be thrown into the fire if you do not bow down. You can imagine the pressure upon the Jews that were there in exile and, 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 and to bow down to this thing. Of course, being thrown and burned up was uh, a form of capital punishment that pagan nations uh, used. In Jeremiah 29, 22, it says, Because of them a curse will be used by all the exiles of Judah who are in Babylon, saying, May the Lord make you like Zedekiah and Ahab, who the king of Babylon roasted in the fire. We read, I had Revelation 13 read because, let's turn back to Revelation 13 for a moment. 
you see some similarities here, don't you? The beast demands worship. He, he wants allegiance. Uh, and, and the beast is really a, a counterfeit of what Christ and God's kingdom is. And that's what idolatry is. It's, it's a cheap counterfeit. In verse 6, And he opened his mouth and blasphemes against God and his name and his tabernacle, that is, those who dwell in heaven. And then verse 7, It was also given to him to make war with the saints. Another um, parallel, I think, to this um, uh, section here, that if you don't bow down, you're going to be thrown into the furnace. Well, here too, the beast makes war against the saints to overcome them. And verse 8, all who dwell on the earth will worship him. Everyone whose name has not been uh, from the foundation of the world written in the book of the life, book of life of the Lamb who was slain. And so you see some parallels there, the demanding of false worship. And so just as God threatens fiery hell to those who do not worship him, so this Antichrist, and he is an Antichrist, Nebuchadnezzar, threatens fire to those who do not worship his image. Of course, we know what happens at the end of Revelation 19.20. The beast was seized along with the false prophet, and they're what? Thrown into the lake of the fire. And so these who were demanding worship of themselves are ultimately the ones who were thrown into the fire. The point of the passage is this, and we saw it in Deuteronomy 6, that we're to worship God, the God of the Bible, in Him only. R.C. Sproul says, while it is intimidating to bow down in awe before the powerful God of the Bible, it is utterly pointless to bow politely to the false gods of our own making. So brothers and sisters, the cultural pressure is around us as well. Christians are often under pressure to, oh, just, you know, can you just fudge on this and just sign your name that this really happened, you know, in the workplace? Or, or maybe an inspector is, is asked to, well, can you pass this? You know, I know it doesn't quite meet the building code, but it's close. Can you just sign off on that? The, the, the pressure is there to to lie and to cheat and, 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 and even just to, to change the way we think. Even the push that we see now upon churches, the threat of taking the tax-free status, which uh, churches that own large buildings, it will cripple them because of the, the tax implications. Um, and the whole idea to hush churches about preaching against the, the grievous sin of homosexuality the grievous sin of gay marriage and transgender garbage. Some churches are being forced to not have certain messages on their kiosks now. I've heard of one church that had John fourteen six. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And, and no, you can't have that. It's too narrow. And there's this push against us Christians and the established church. Well, bringing it closer to home, are we serving modern gods lowercase g, the God of materialism that just having a little bit more will satisfy and scratch the itch, and, and I've just got to have more, and, 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 and you know the newest gadget or whatever it might be, sexual perversion, allowing that to dictate how you think, the God of pleasure, just living for pleasure, and that alone, the God of entertainment, that this is what I've got to have. I've got to see all the new movies. I've, I follow all the tabloids and all of that trash and garbage. Yes, I did call it trash. Um, Bruce Jenner, he thinks he finds happiness in being a woman right now. That may last for a month or two, but 
he's going to have a tormented conscience eventually because he wasn't made that way. And then to bring it even a little closer to home, our idolatry can be so subtle, you know, and, and, and oftentimes it's idolatry of self. Don't I look great? Look how great I am and all of these kinds of things. And if you don't believe me that that is an issue today, why are the social media companies with record profits and growing exponentially? Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. And I'm not saying you're a sinner doomed for hell if you use that. I have a Facebook account. Uh, but think about it. <clears throat> so much of that is, is getting the best selfie of yourself and, and picture of yourself and plastering it. And then you're kind of like, who's liked it? Ooh, ooh, wow. Ooh, wow, that person recognized me. I'm feeling kind of golden today. Kind of like his statue. We need to beware of that. Beware of running to the God of social media the first, instead of running to your Bible in the morning to set your mind straight for a day that you might live unto the glory of God, running to the God of social media. These things ought not to be. It's a false worship. Not a good thing. False worship is propagated by those who do not know God, but it is refused by those who fear God. And look in verse 8 as we move on. Back to Daniel 3. Verse 8, For this reason, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and brought charges against the Jews. Okay, so Daniel and his friends are threatened death, a horrible death in the furnace. These these certain Chaldeans, uh, astrologers, magicians, and so forth, they bring these charges. Remember, they were humiliated in chapter 2. They could not uh, tell the dream or the interpretation. Daniel, because he does do that, all the wise men are spared. This is some years later. There's no doubt resentment and bitterness. And who does this Daniel think he is? And his three friends that he's got elevated with him. And so whatever the motive is, the Hebrew words actually ate, ate, ate into pieces the Jews. In other words, they were so bitter and envious when they came and they brought these charges that it was like chewing them up. That's the force of what's being said. The uh, New English translation has, they brought malicious accusations. And it's not like these three Hebrews were there standing there as thousands around them were bowing down. Repent, repent. You know, you're bowing down to the wrong God. They're just standing more than likely. I mean, maybe they were yelling something like that. We're not told but it's just that they're simply not bowing down. And out of the many thousands, it's not like King Nebuchadnezzar, oh, way in the back there, I think I see Shadrach. And, you know, so obviously this is a conspiracy. These um, magicians and so forth, they come up, they bring these malicious accusations against them. And so the king is in a rage. He says in verse 13, you know, where it's... Verse 13, he's in a rage, bring them before me. Verse 14, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Very interesting to think about how many Jews were in exile at the time, and they must have been bowing down. They must have been going with the flow. They must have already been conformed to the culture around them. Uh, Many people were bowing down from all the various nations and so forth. But in verse 15, look at what happens here. 
Nebuchadnezzar finds grace, we'll say, or offers grace. Look what he says. He says, now, if you're ready, like he's, since it's you guys, I'm going to give you a second chance. You know, if you're ready, when you hear the sound of all these instruments, then you can bow down and worship them. And then, of course, in the end of verse 15, he says, for what gods is there that can deliver you out of my hands? What arrogance. He mocks the God of heaven. What God is there that can rescue you out of my hands? Don't you recognize I'm the most powerful figure in the entire world? Don't you see all these kingdoms and rulers of nations that have come to submit to me, to bow down to my idol? And who are you, young men? Maybe they're in their 20s by now, having been probably teenagers in the uh, chapter 1. What a scene here, as he mocks. But verses 16 to 18 is beautiful. It's the only time these men talk. Their names are mentioned. You heard it probably, I forget how much, 12 or 15 times through the chapter. You know, the names are repeated again and again and again. And and, and so this is the only time they talk. And it's central to the point of the text. Verses 16 to 18. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, We do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your your hand, O king. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Now, in verse 17, the beginning part, if it be so or if this be, or even if, um, if our God is able, it sounds like, did, were they doubting? Did they really not believe in the, the complete power of God and, and those types of things? And I'm not going to go into all of that. I, I don't think there's anything deficient on these men's part. It's just that sometimes God allows us to go through these things. But in verse 18, when he says, but even if he does not, so well, actually, the, he will deliver, but sometimes God allows us to go through if that's his purpose, and so he's, they qualify it in verse 18. But even if he does not, let it be known to you that we will not serve your gods. We have men of principle here standing up for what is right. It's like Luther before the Roman Catholic Council around the time of the Protestant Reformation. Here I stand, I can do none other. If you can show me where this book is not true, he goes on, you know, and here I stand. I'm standing on this authority. God's power has been wonderfully displayed and is displayed for us. And just think of in the times of Jesus, the healing of, of mute and uh, deformed arms and the healing of the blind man and demon-possessed men being made whole. Even in the Old Testament, the parting of the Red Sea and a myriad of other things. And God sometimes delivers, as He did the nation Israel from Egypt through the Red Sea. But other times, in His infinite wisdom and in His perfect providence, He allows us to suffer. And sometimes we don't always have that figured out why. I've counseled a lot of people going through difficult things, and the one question is, why? And you know what, as a pastor, you don't have the answer. I don't know the mind of Almighty God, but I know that God is good, and I know that He's in control, and I know that you can trust Him no matter what you go through. That's got to be the counsel. 
You, it, that's where you get, you know, pastors get in trouble when they start explaining, well, you see, no, no, sometimes we don't know why. Sometimes in this life, we don't know why at first, but then it's revealed and it's, it's clear. We can point to that as a testimony. So why such a strong stand, you Hebrew men? Why? I mean, after all, you know, we might think that some of us might rationalize, well, look, I mean, I hate fire. Being burned by fire doesn't sound fun. Maybe if I bow down with my body, but I tell God, I'm not really bowing down with my heart. I still really believe that you are God. Can you, can you see that those rational thoughts, the rationalizing might come through your brain? I mean, God wouldn't want me to die. He's using me here in Babylon. So, so I, I, maybe I'll bow down and God will understand. That's to say that God would winks at sin. Why such a strong stand? Because these men remembered the commandments of Almighty God. And in the second commandment, it says clearly, you shall make for yourself, you shall not make for yourself an idol in any likeness of that which is in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the water beneath. You shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. These men remembered God's law. It echoed in their brains, and they said, we will not bow down. We serve the God of heaven. We must obey God rather than man. And brothers and sisters in trials, as I said, we have no guarantee of deliverance. I think it's interesting, the end of Hebrews 11, how it says that towards the end there were some quench the power of fire. You ever think that that might be a reference to Daniel 3? I think it's the only example that we have. Uh, some escape the edge of the sword. Others experience mockings and scourgings. And yes, also chains and imprisonments. And they were stoned and they were sawn in two and they were tempted and they were put to death with the sword. And so sometimes quench the fire. Other times put to death by the sword or whatever. So application, how does God deliver you out of trials? Sometimes it is, as we said last week, out of our trial. Sometimes it's through the trial. Sometimes it's in the trial. But God is faithful to us. Remember Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. We have to know when to stand up and say enough is enough. Okay? Remember in Daniel 1, the, they ended up, they, they went through the university, the re-education program to teach them of all the ways of Babylon uh, and so forth. But they said, when it came to eating the king's choice food, we will not do that because we know that we will end up conforming into their standards. And they stood up for what is right. And it takes wisdom and it takes being immersed in this book to have the wisdom to know where to draw the lines. Think of all the martyrs that were burned throughout the history of the world, but around the Reformation and even under Bloody Mary, the thousands that were executed because of their, their faith. And we need to remember verses such as what Christ said in Matthew ten twenty eight: do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul. Rather, fear him who is able to destroy both body and soul 
and hell. We need to realize that when we're mistreated and when we're encountering difficulties, that we should not be surprised by those things. Okay? 1 Peter 4, verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. And it's always, it's interesting when something happens, uh, you know, a trial or, or like something hits. At first, we don't think of this, right? We are surprised. Why is this happening right now? But, you know, as we mature, we know, we can realize God's got a purpose in this. So, false worship is embraced by the lost. First of all, secondly, it's refused by God's people. And lastly, in the last section, false worship does not satisfy King Nebuchadnezzar is very upset. His gods have brought no satisfaction. In verse 19 to the end, it says that he's filled with wrath, and his facial expression was altered towards them, and he answered by giving orders to heat the furnace seven times more than it is usually heated. I can't picture what that means when the facial expression changed, but you can picture just the deep lines and the, the intense fury and anger in his face that, that, that was created there, and he was filled with rage. <clears throat> Seven times hotter. Um, I don't think there was a thermostat <laughs> to, to do that, but the idea is he had all the men throw in as much charcoal and as much as possible to make it as hot as possible. Um, another verse, for the righteous man falls down seven times and rises again. It doesn't mean if you fall down an eighth time, you've gone too far. It's, just, it's a number that means that he keeps rising again, and this is just getting it as hot as possible. It's hyperbole. And so there's an awesome picture here. If you look in verse 22, or verse 20, he commanded certain valiant warriors who were in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, it's just three Hebrew men, right? And so he could just have called any of the soldiers that are there, but no, he calls for the Navy SEALs or the Delta Force or the, the Airborne Division to come in. He wants to make sure that they're not going to escape. And, and to tie them up. And in verse 22, we see that they are burned up in the flames as they went to throw them in. Now, this furnace was probably on the side of a hill with an opening at the top, and that's where they were thrown. It says they fell into the fire with an opening down below for adding fuel and for looking inside. It's the, that's the way I've pictured it. So they fell into the furnace, verse 23, and, um, and they're in the midst of the blazing fire. And it's better to be in the furnace with the Lord or in your trial than to be outside with false worship and engaging and breaking God's commandments. Well, verse 24, we see here, <laughs> again, notice the emotion. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was, what? astounded and stood up in haste and he said to his officials was it not three men who were bound and cast into the fire and they replied certainly and he says i see a fourth loosed and walking about in the midst of the fire with them and he looks to be one of the sons of gods now there's all kinds of speculation about this here this is um, sort of the climax that they're not consumed in the fire they 
They do the right thing. They don't bow down in false worship. They're preserved in the fire. And then he is utterly amazed and sees something, of you know, whether it's an angel or, or whatever. Um, Nebuchadnezzar calls it an angel in verse 28. Um, some are convinced that this is a pre-incarnate uh, visit from Christ or Christophany. I, I don't think there's enough evidence to say that dogmatically, and preachers get in trouble because they focus on that whole verse, and that's not the, it's not, the whole chapter is not focused on that one verse. But we know that God is with his people in the midst of the fire, whether it's by an angel, whether it's by a supernatural presence, and he is with us as we go through these difficulties. And so, um, whenever we have these difficulties and trials, God is with us. Isaiah 43, verse 2, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. And when you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. Isn't that amazing? Remember I mentioned to you last week that uh, the last half of Isaiah 40 to 66 is, there's so many parallels to the book of Daniel, and as it's written also to exiles and and the hope of of the kingdom being established again. And and so a verse like this and, and how it fits so perfectly of course, the psalmist says the angel of the Lord encamps around those who what, fear him, right? And rescues them. God is able to deliver his children who refuse to worship idols. We know, as I've already mentioned, uh, the, the reference to the Red Sea, the angel of the Lord went before them. And Moses calls this deliverance in Deuteronomy 4.20 that the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace from Egypt. To the exiles later in Isaiah 48, behold, I have refined you, but not as silver, I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. So brothers and sisters, God has a purpose in our difficulties to test us, to refine us, and in the fullness of time, ultimately, to save his people from another fiery furnace, a place called hell. We are in exile. As the church, our citizenship is in heaven. This world is not our home. Matthew Henry says, Let Nebuchadnezzar heat his furnace as hot as he can. A few minutes will finish the torment of any who are cast into it. But hell fire tortures and yet does not kill. Those who worship the beast in his image have no rest, no pause, no moment free from pain. Well, in this case, deliverance did come through the fire. Nebuchadnezzar, I'm not going to reread it, verses 26 to 30, he calls them out. Verse 28, of course, there's no, not even the smell of fire on them. It's absolutely amazing. Estimated to be about 1,800 degrees. Um, in verse 28, he says, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who had put their trust in him, violating the king's command, yet yielding up their bodies so as not to serve or worship any god except for their own god. Once again, um, he speaks what is true. And um, verse 30, he promotes them, it says. They cause them to prosper. So the third chapter in a row that we've seen a promotion, a promotion as it were. Well, two points of application as we end, brethren. First of all, we're called to be men and women of principle based on the Word of God. 
And so when you make decisions tomorrow in the workplace or later this week, uh, signing papers or a form or a contract or whatever the situation, uh, be careful to remember to guide your life by the Word of God. Brothers and sisters, we have not stood upright in every circumstance. We have not spoken the hope of the gospel when we've had prime opportunities. We have, we have fudged and, and, and you know, dodged things, and we have not been perfect, even as God's people. But praise be to God, we serve a Savior who is perfect, who has never failed, who has gone through the flames of agony on the cross on our behalf. He's taken away every one of our sins. Does that negate that because of the grace that we sin all the more? No. Because of that wonder and that love that spurns within us a deep desire to want to glorify God. And as we go through these difficulties, as we go through these trials, we must keep our eyes on Christ by faith, not an image of Christ, <laughs> by, but keep our eyes on Christ, as it says in Hebrews 12. Quoting Spurgeon again, he says, The refiner is never very far from the mouth of the furnace when his gold is in the fire. You are precious to him. He's removing that dross on a continual basis in the sanctification process that Judd prayed about. And we are in the refiner's fire, a supernatural, figurative fire as it were, and the dross is being removed as we're further sanctified and conformed into the image of Christ. And the Lord is never Far from the mouth of the furnace. Slay the idols of materialism, sexual perversion, self-promotion. And then if you're here today and you're outside of Christ, why would you reject the one and only true God? Even Nebuchadnezzar recognized the one true God when face to face with various circumstances around cry for deliverance from this fiery furnace that awaits all those who reject Christ. God saves His people from the fiery furnace, having gone through that torture on the cross for us. And and furthermore, these three friends, of course, are preserved in the fire, but they would die again, right? What does Jesus say in John 11? that, That we will never die again. There's a judgment that's coming. And you need to be ready for it. 2 Peter 3.10 says, The day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with the roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. Another fire. Fire of judgment that's coming. But the hope of the Gospel is the verses right before that. That with the Lord one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like a day. The Lord is not slow about His promise, but what? Is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. All who have been elected before the foundation of the world will come to repentance. And so if you reject Christ, there is a furnace waiting for you. This story is very, very poignant for you if you're outside of Christ. It's not bow down and worship the 90-foot bizarre-looking idol, but bow down and worship as our service began the one true God of the Bible. Jesus Himself says, the Son of Man will send forth angels and they will gather 
out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks and all those who commit lawlessness and throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You know what the miracle is? If you're here today and you're outside of Christ, the miracle is that you're still taking breath into your lungs and that your heart is still beating. And that could stop in an instant. It could stop an hour from now, a day from now, a month from now. You don't know when that's going to stop. And, and, and God's anger is kindled against your sin of idolatry, of your sin of rejecting Christ, of your sin of living for yourself. And as Jonathan Edwards puts very beautifully, that, that it's only the mere pleasure of God that keeps you out of the pit of hell even now. You're hanging by a spider's thread over the open pit of hell. Oh, hear the good news of the gospel that if you turn from your sin and you look to Christ as a suitable Savior that's died for your sins and run to Him in faith and and cling to Him and hold on to Him, hating your sin and, and loving God, you will be saved. Trust in Jesus, the one that can deliver from this furnace of hell. Let us pray. Father, we thank You for a familiar story that we were able to consider today, this narrative in Daniel 3. But Lord, we thank you for the gravity as well of discussing this furnace, discussing men who refused false worship and were preserved and proven to be your children. Lord, we know that there is a furnace burning now for the enemies of the cross. And Lord, we pray that if any here is an enemy of the cross, that they would flee to Jesus. That they would hear the words in your scripture, come unto me, all ye who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And Lord, that's what we long for, even as believers, is rest for our souls. To rest in the finished work of Christ and what he's accomplished for us. To rest in knowing that you are with us no matter what we go through. So Lord, take these truths and Drive them into our hearts and our minds, O God, that we might better glorify you. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.